So Dan, I thought you were going to be sick this week and couldn't make it to Intentionally Blake. And yet I'm here. <laughs> Something's different about you. Yeah. Well, I'm much better looking now. Ah, uh, yes. The, the plastic surgery uh, has <laughs> been a success. Maybe it's an MI5 face mask or something. No. Do you have a food heist for Food us? heist. Food heist. This Did is, you bring a food this heist? Is all, this is all I could. Uh, yeah. Um, these are the snacks from upstairs. <laughs> so food heist. I don't think it counts. Because being Dan, who you are, mm. you work for Dragonsteel, and the snacks are provided for Dragonsteel employees. Oh, if you man. weren't Dan, this would be a heist. That would be a heist. It'd Actually, be a really improv poorly planned heist. As you always tell me, Dan, it doesn't count as a heist. It's just a bash and grab. It's got to be like, I guess, did you premeditate that? For a couple of minutes. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Okay. okay. <laughs> a couple of minutes preparation right there. Mm. It's showing through. So I thought today mm. we might talk about things you've heard from your former roommate and dear friend, Ben, mm-hmm. about what it's like to hang out with artists and writers all the time when you, in fact, are a computer engineer. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm. Yes. That's what Developer. Ben, ben is. Yes. Yeah. What was Ben's major? Computer engineering. Computer that's right. Engineering. Yeah. 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 Now What's developer like? for a long time. What's it like? Yeah. That's a very open-ended question. Even like yeah. more... Specific. Well, I mean, you have been part, pretending you're Ben, right? <laughs> of our writing group I'm really gonna from this. day one, right? Yeah. Yeah. In like, fact, I know you've told the story before, but yeah. it was like I had a job on campus and it was yeah. in you, my office. You had a real job. Yeah. You're the only person we knew who had a real job that had like an office. Oh, I mean, Ben's office. Ben's office. I'm but you're pretending to, to be Ben. <laughs> you're pretending to be Ben. Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. And so... How did you get sucked into having to deal with us, right? Well, I don't know if Dan's ever told the story of how yeah. we even met, which has probably not come up before. I don't know, I don't know that why it, has. it would. I know it, but we were thrown together randomly uh-huh. by a computer for the BYU programming camp, like summer programming yeah. camp, because Dan took a programming camp. Yes, yeah. for whatever reason. For whatever yeah. reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, back in the day, you're a nerd. You do yeah, all you the do all nerd kind of stuff. stuff. Yeah. And that's so, the thing. Like yeah. I read lots of fantasy. I read lots yeah. of sci-fi, all those kind of things. So we were thrown together randomly. I, I brought, <laughs> I brought this big, you know, nineties boom box yeah. and had that sitting on the desk and I got there first and, and he came in and I, I was off getting dinner or lunch. Mm-hmm. Or I remember he told me this later. I, he saw it and said, oh no, I got stuck with some like. Tech bro, tech bro wasn't a thing back then, but that was mm-hmm. the, you know, like, uh, some guy's going to be Because you had rocking. a boombox? Oh, I brought a boombox. He's like, oh, no. That was like a tech bro Pop thing? music. No, like oh. some pop music oh, layman who, okay. you know, didn't. But I had brought in for my boombox, like, Les Mis and Phantom and Cats and You really are etc. a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, Is so that it kind of saved us. I'm bemused by my wife because I listen to the music of my generation. Right. I grew up in the hair metal era, moving into the grunge era. Right. Right. And so, we're the same age. Yeah. So, yeah. So my bands when I was in older middle school, younger high school were Van Halen and Bon Jovi. And moving into I resisted the whole Nirvana Pearl Jam thing for a little while, but eventually got into them. My wife, she knows none of the music of our generation. Well, and 
Dan was like that too, if I yeah. recall. Yeah. I'll have to talk to Dan when you're not pretending to be Ben, yeah, Dan, yeah. at another point because we'll, I'll talk to her and I'll be like, oh yeah, this band. She's like, never heard of them. I'm like, <laughs> like Gordon Lightfoot. She's like, oh yeah, I can name each one of his songs. I'm like, okay, uh, which generation were you born in again? That happens a lot though because Dan did the same thing. He yeah. listened to all his parents' music growing mm-hmm. up and loved it. And there's you know some fantastic music there from is. the 60s, It's very 50s, good music, like, but- I mean, I listened to the radio. Yeah, I listened yeah. to, you know, the first album I ever bought was the Young Guns 2 soundtrack <laughs> because it had Blaze of Glory by Bon Jovi on it. And the rest of the soundtrack, not the symphonic soundtrack by Alan Silveresti or whoever did it, the songs inspired by yeah, sort of yeah. thing. The rest of the album did not hold up to Blaze of Glory, <laughs> but Blaze of Glory is a very good song. It's a very good yeah. song. No, I'm neither of those things, though, because mm. my parents didn't listen to music. Okay. Like, we didn't have the radio on at home mm. ever. So I listened to the radio when I eventually got a car, uh-huh. which is around the time I got a job, and I had a coworker introduce me to Rush. Okay, you know, yeah. I, I do remember is, from being your roommate, you being Dan, who's pretending to be Ben, the whole Rush thing. Like, yeah. I got back into Rush because of you. Because you played Rush a lot, so I went and bought the Greatest Hits albums yeah. for Rush and had them in my car forever. Because I'm like, oh, yeah, Rush is really good. Yeah. So I missed all that. And I grew up in Idaho Falls. Right. And, you, you know, you're from Nebraska, so you kind of mm-hmm. can relate a little bit. Yeah. The radio wasn't quite cutting edge, so to speak, yeah. especially on pop rock and grunge. And- right. But Rush is like alternative before there was alternative. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rush was, was... So and they were probably on like whatever the classic mm-hmm. rock was in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. But I had to go catch up on, like in college, I went back to catch up on like Pearl Jam and uh-huh. Nirvana. And I, I didn't ever listen to those until later. I always preferred the Chili Peppers a little bit more. I don't know. They don't really count as grunge. I'm trying to remember what the Chili Peppers are, but that's that same era. I think they were from the very first pop punk. Yeah, maybe pop punk. Or... I mean, I, call, I consider Green Day kind of the pop punk people, but... Maybe, I don't know. The music people will tell us in the comments which subgenres these all are. But yeah. So we're actually talking about dealing with authors. Dealing with authors. Dealing with authors. Authors and other artists. Yes. Like don't don't leave out all the other crazy people who do bizarre things. Like you spend a non-insignificant amount of your time in this group where the rest of us are authors and editors. And you're like, the odd man out. And maybe Alan, right? I mean, Alan writes. Alan does write. Right? Yeah, Alan has finished like six novels. Yeah, yeah. I mean- Good length ones too. Yeah, and his, his professional career, this is Alan Layton, who's Layton from Bridge Four. He shows up in my books all the time. He's in the writing group. He's a public school teacher is his job, yeah. but he's written six books, Yeah, right? Mm, that's true. The only me. stories I know of that you wrote were ones you wrote when you took a class to Which kind I, of explore, you know? Yeah. And so like- you went on the trips that Dan and Peter and I took to try to get published. Yeah. Where we would go to conventions trying to meet editors and things. And it would be Dan and me, who are both, you know, aspiring writers, very hardcore at it. Peter, who wanted very badly to be an editor. And then you, who had a real job already mm-hmm. and were just humoring us. Yeah. Like, why did you put up with us? Put up with you? Come on. It was fun. We were in college. Yeah. It was like... Hey, let's go on a trip and go to like the place where all these amazing authors are going to be. Like I got to meet some of my favorite authors and they weren't in a typical con setting, right? Right. World fantasy is more a business con. Yeah. I suppose like I remember it was Stevenson. 
who was it? My, the really one I met, I was, me. yeah, I was so excited. It was yeah. Donald Stevenson. No, no Stephen Donaldson. Oh Stephen Donaldson. It was Stephen Donaldson. You're right. The, I remember because we walked in to the convention and he was standing outside talking and you recognized him and the rest of us did not. Did. Yeah, no. I, I was, mean, I'd read Stephen Donaldson, but yeah. I didn't recognize him. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like Dan got to meet Fred Saberhagen. And yeah. Again, it wasn't like handshake, sign book, yeah. you know, leave. It was like they were there to talk shop and they were yeah. just hanging out and it was kind of amazing. So Okay. Well, I'd never actually kind of heard that from you before, this whole idea of it's actually amazing. Like in my head, because you're you, you always seem to be kind of shaking your head at your weird artist well, friends. I mean, you weren't amazing at the time. No, no, no. <laughs> like the, but they were amazing. I, but, not us but it as was, writers, but I thought about you putting up with the whole experience of, we're going to go to this. Oh, we're going to take a trip. Are we going to go to the beach in California? No, we're going to go to Corpus Christi in the summer where it's 110 degrees with it, 95% humidity. It was humidity. not. It was 85, okay. like 24 hours. You remember? Like, I, yeah. That's one thing I remember about Corpus Christi. Like it was 84 degrees. All I know. No, it was miserable. Years. You walked outside and it was like humid and hot. Oh, it was nice. Okay. It was really humid, but it was the temperature was fantastic. Okay. I'll agree to disagree. Yeah, um, well. on that. My memory of that is you do not want to walk outside if you can avoid it. It was very humid. There were just fun trips though. Like mm-hmm. and I didn't actually have any friends who weren't like English majors at the time. And that's kind of the weird thing, right? Like I got Made roommates with Dan. And we chose to be yeah. roommates freshman year. And yeah. then Dan is his personality. Yeah. The, like he Dan is, a, is Dan. He, is, yeah. he has this gravitation effect mm-hmm. that everything but, kind of bends around him a little bit. Yeah. So I did. Mm. And, you know, Leading Edge and Writing Group. and You were the poetry editor at Leading Edge. This oh, is the no, school magazine. Me. Oh, my that, gosh. Uh, sci-fi fantasy magazine we were on. That you were the poetry editor. Poetry. Yeah. Yeah. None of us knew what to do with the poetry, so we give that to the engineer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is that's that's a great choice on our part. Sounds like a school publication. I think you did a good job, but <laughs> you know. It was a slot that needed to be filled we and fortunately didn't have a lot of poetry submissions. Yes. <laughs> uh, we were not exa- I mean it was had to be sci fi fantasy themed poetry, which yes. exists. Yep. It's definitely not uh, Yeah, and we paid like five bucks a poem or something. It was I not very no good idea. money. Mm-hmm. But that might be really good money in the poetry world. Who knows? <laughs> not me, because mm-hmm. I'm not in that world. Yes. Yes. Though one of the funny things is we've pointed this out before. I always thought that my job would be the unstable one, right? I mean, I did too. Yeah. And yet you've changed jobs way more times than I have. You haven't changed careers. And I guess me writing new book yeah, series is I, a little bit like changing jobs. Because I've made this comparison before. Mm-hmm. I used to, well, the writing group still laughs. You know, I'll come yeah. up after a year yeah. and a half or something like, hey, I, have new, I got a new job. Yeah. But it's the same career. It's like you can you can publish with Tor and you can publish with Penguin. You can publish with... Yeah, I suppose. They're all paying you money to do stuff. Yeah. You get to keep more of it than I do, but, you know, eh. Eh. So speaking of living with artists. Yes. One thing that kills me, and this kills a lot of the software industry, is is the idea of royalties, right? Right. Because there are a lot of people in corporate America who contribute a ton to kind of the bottom line and, and, you know, stuff coming in, and we don't get royalties like you should it's weird to think of this idea of creation yeah where like when you create something it scales like you see the scaling return from it and a lot of people don't no that is the thing i mean 
I see a different perspective on this because I've been very successful with it. There is high risk. You do all this work. And then like, I don't know if you ever had this perspective, but I know Tom, who was a chemical engineer, who was my freshman year roommate and still a, a good friend. When I talk to him about this, he's like, you get through the chemical engineering program and you will have a job. As long as you do a decent job at getting through the program. You know, BYU at the time had like a 90 something percent placement rate for chemical engineers. People needed them a lot. If you're willing to move and work at one of the big micro manufacturers, then you will have a job. And Mm -hmm. that's why he picked that field. I picked a field where no one, no one's calling me on the phone. Like he got called on the phone after he graduated and said, do you want to come interview? Right. Yeah. No one calls the uh, the the English majors with the creative writing emphasis uh, on the phone after the graduate and say, oh, I hear that you graduated with a creative writing emphasis. Would you like to submit your book to us? Doesn't happen. Right. But I don't know if it would even be viable in the real world, but I think that engineers should have a royalty. I think there should be a stake Something. in what I guess you write. If in the corporate world, you can call you shares and stuff. Yeah. Like you, you get st- the stock. And you things. join a startup, you get, mm-hmm. you know, here's a significant portion of the company. Yeah. And, and, it there's, is, and there's the risk, right, too. Yeah. And it is much more difficult to differentiate how much of what you did. It's so collaborative. There's so many people involved. Yeah. But I mean, Hollywood's been able to work it out. Like on movies, every person has... Their guild decided what yeah. cut of the final profit they should get. Yeah. And that's like Hollywood's the, or movies in general are, yeah. are the weird thing to me because they dwarf some corporations. Yeah. Even yeah. a single movie in the credits these days yep. will dwarf most companies I've worked at. And I'm, like, I'm a little shocked that programmers haven't unionized to the point, particularly like yeah. in the video game industry where they're treated so poorly. You did that for a while. Just one year with Isaac. Stewart. Oh, yeah, with Isaac yeah. Stewart, who's a VP right. of creative development at my company, mm-hmm. who did all the maps for Mistborn and, and, and uh, yeah, he's, he's very good at cartography and all sorts of <laughs> yeah. cool art things. So, yeah, you went to work at that same company and you did not like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was games is a rough industry, man. And not even just because of the the stories you hear in the news of like, oh, they make you work, you know, 20 hour days and da, da, da. And they do that. And but... the, uh, some do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know not all of them do, but I, I, I've heard that some do. But just like the industry as a whole, you've mentioned this because mm-hmm. you helped with Moonbreaker a little bit where, you know, how does this monetize is a question that is a lot more complicated than it was 10, 15 years ago, like way more complicated. These people are passionate and love their game and put all this time into it and then had to try to figure out, like, how do you take this fun game that has this really cool painting mechanic and pitch it to people and get them to actually pay for it? How do you do that? What's the right way? Yeah, because my brief Mm -hmm. tenure in, in video games was I worked on something for a year. It was really fun. It was really interesting. And it got canned. Like the publisher just said, you know what? We don't think it's going anywhere. We're cutting off funding. That was it. That's all your work. That was the whole thing. Gone. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) that's a very common story in that industry. I might be putting words in your mouth. Tell me if I am. But I remember you, when you quit, you were like, it started to make games less fun doing it. Well... Because you you are yeah. a gamer, you really enjoy games. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and and a lot of people who get in programming, yeah, are like, I want to make games. That's my passion. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and I, and I always tell people like, that's great. Learn mm-hmm. programming to do that, and then see where it takes you. You know, yeah. it's fine. But what I said was, it's it is definitely like a labor of love. Yeah, and I didn't you, I didn't love it that you much. You take a pay cut, 
I took a half, yeah. like half my pay cut, and I wasn't even a senior, you know, developer yeah. back then. That was kind of normal so developer. Huge pay cut. Yeah, huge to pay go cut. work worse hours uh-huh. on something that never got released. Yeah, in an environment that was much higher stress, and uh, it was higher stress for some. And I, again, this comes back to the, the risk thing. Like yeah. being just a developer without any stake in the company itself. I admit was less stressful. Uh-huh. There were people who were very stressed, though. By the way, I, I don't think it counts as a food heist if you're not eating any of it. I'm going to point that out. Uh, well, you know, no, you can steal food and not eat it. I know, but, but I, I also... You're just going to go put it back up there. Well, that's what you think. <laughs> what kind of heist would it be if I put it back? Now, this is a really destroyed Snickers bar. I didn't get dinner because I had to leave early. Yeah, somebody somebody called you, Dan, last minute and said that Dan was sick and that uh, Dan had to fill in for Dan, Dan had to fill in for Dan. Listen, your snack drawer is wow. That is that is quite the. Well, we just we just... look at this. <laughs> Come on. So you've been going to writing group for twenty off and on for twenty something years. Four years. Now. Right, and I and I I took some breaks. I know, part of it. I I did you take a take break. Very long break. Not though. very long, maybe. Mm-hmm. But it was. <laughs> this is a funny story. You and Dan got married before I did. Mm-hmm. Not Dan and I marrying each other, but um, <laughs> no, mm-hmm. to your respective wives. Yes, but I was single for longer. Yes, and you moved writing group to Friday nights. That's right. Which for a single person is a big deal. Not as great. Mm-hmm. So I did take a break. I think uh, yeah, once or twice. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like a year or something. But. Yeah, that's the thing. Our Friday nights for quite a long while now, because I yeah. think they moved to Fridays maybe fifteen years ago or something like that. Yeah, it was a long time ago. But I guess I probably moved it to Friday night once I got married, and I got married fourteen-ish years ago. It sounds about right. And Dan had yeah. kids already, so mm-hmm. he was. I get no sixteen years ago. Sixteen years ago for me. So okay, we did that because people might be like, you give you. Friday night up. We needed a night where people didn't feel bad staying late. Yeah, staying up late. Because people needed to like put kids to bed before they came and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So we needed a night that if you were getting home at midnight, it wasn't as big a deal. And when you've got little kids, <laughs> your kids you're sending to school, like you just can't do that on a weeknight no, very easily. No, and it's so funny too, because like I have this distinct memory of, mm-hmm. I think it was Peter saying, I say distinct and I say, I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. Saying, you know, writing group, like, this is our social time. Like, this is when yeah. we actually get to sit on with friends. And I'm, yeah. and I'm just like, that's so weird. You weird married people with kids. And then, I, you know, 10 years later, I'm, I'm so there. <laughs> so <laughs> it's all I've got. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I get it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So what is like your perspective on Dan and me and Peter being your buddies who had this weird, wacky dream in college. And now the three of us are all working in a company together. Yeah, a pretty successful company. Too. Yes. It's, it's been great uh, because I got this a little bit when I was growing up. My dad's very practical. I mm-hmm. think you, you know from your mother. That Idaho practicality <laughs> is because if you don't know, my parents are from Idaho Falls and my grandma like, I was I was two doors down from her. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I lived next to her, and your cousins were my, my next door neighbors. Were in between, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And my mother also very practical, but my my wife's family told her growing up, like, no, you have to learn like 
office work job or be a teacher or like you can't do anything creative. No one does that. It doesn't work. Like told to her face, right? So it's been awesome in that respect where we don't say anything like that to our kids. We're like, right. you can do kind of anything if you can find a way to make it profitable. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and like my favorite story is still our friend Drew Olds, who yep. is so interesting. This is Jancy Patterson's husband. Yep. Jancy, who writes the Skyward stories with me. If you've read Jancy's work, if you haven't, you should. And as far as I have heard, paints minis, paints or, minis. and crafts his own minis, custom minis yeah. for wedding toppers or events or whatever. And or people's just armies for Warhammer. Yeah. Yep. And is able to make, like, a make a living off that. Yep. And like that isn't like do yep. what you love if you can make it work. Like Professional mini painter yeah. is his job. And he's my uh, go-to for like, you have to get a practical job. Oh, I know this guy. Like. It's not even you. It's yeah, it's Drew. Yeah, <laughs> no, Drew's is is. Were you at that party though? You know Gunda, right? Yeah, yeah. You knew Gunda. Yeah. yeah, you introduced. It was when we were roommates at, in the house with Earl. Yeah. It was it was in yeah. that. So that there was there. a party at Gunda's house, mm-hmm. and I went to it. And this is one of the few times I can remember the exact words that someone said. There was someone at this party that I, you know, said hi to. And she said, oh, what do you do? And I said, I'm a writer. I'm a novelist. And she said, oh, so you're unemployed, um, right? <laughs> that um, is the exact kind of dig. That exact is, yeah. kind of dig. And by then I was published. Mm. And I'm like, actually, <laughs> that's why I remember that one more than the others. Because all the others, I was like, you have to be like, yeah, you know, I'm working on it. I'm aspiring. That one time I was able to say, well, guess what? Someone paid me. Yeah. So it's been inspiring in that respect, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. good. I do... I hesitate occasionally talking to people like, yeah. it doesn't work, always work out. Oh, it doesn't work out more often than it does work yeah. out. And like you had a fallback plan. Dan, I didn't have a good one. Well, it was there, right? It was like there. Dan, Dan. Teach community college, creative writing. It's, yeah. It's a, it's a job. Yeah, it's a job. Probably <laughs> not even creative writing. Teach freshman composition at a community college. Is, yeah. 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 Dan had a real job. Yeah, he was at his fallback for mm-hmm. quite a while. Yep. So that's the reality of, I guess, doing your any kind of creative work is like mm-hmm. you may end, you may end up on your fallback mm-hmm. temporarily, long term. Who knows? Like, I mean, I've said before that I consider programming to be have really interesting intersection with creative writing. Yeah. Because I've told you this before, right? I took a programming class in college. And it was the worst class I ever took because it's the only one that severely impacted my writing. Oh, yeah. You were burned out. Because doing the programming felt like doing my writing, where even writing essays didn't feel as much like writing fiction as programming did. I've never found a single thing as close to writing a novel as programming. Because for me, writing a novel is all about problem solving. How do I get this to happen with these characters? How do I get this character attribute across? How do I solve the problem that my character isn't likable enough or is, you know, the motivations aren't mm-hmm. clear? It's all about trying to get these things across. And it was the same way with the programming. Yeah, make this thing happen. Mm-hmm. No, I, you and Dan have talked about that mm-hmm. um, on this podcast before, and I, I totally agree. As I get older, even... Here's a funny story. Speaking of like living with all these weird artists mm-hmm. and Dan just having this gravitation filled around him, he got me to take uh, an honors arts 
class at BYU with him. It was on just Sondheim, and a whole semester on just Sondheim. And I didn't know anything about Sondheim at the time. Okay. I wasn't a fan then. Oh, because I Uh, kind of associate you with like the Sondheim fan that I know. My friend, the Sondheim fan. I I am now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mostly because of that class. Mm -hmm. But where was I going with that story? Crazy artist you live with. He roped you into it by having the the weird distortion field. Yeah. Our teacher, who was amazing, Matt Bean, if I remember his name correctly, he would talk about how Sondheim isn't for the old, tired businessmen in New York. Right. And the old tired businessmen who wanted to go see cats, right? They want to yeah. go see Phantom. And the older I get, and the more I, I get into my like career, like I'm that guy. Interesting. I am too tired for the weird stuff. <laughs> and it is simultaneously like a little little disappointing at the same time. I'm like, yeah, man, I I don't know. That's that's interesting because I like to stay abreast of things that are happening in entertainment, mm. right? Yeah. Just whatever movements are happening. If I run across something and I know it's popular with a segment of the population, I will do my best to read it or watch it or experience it. So I just know, right? And one of those things is a subgenre of manga where I'm not a huge manga reader, but a lot of people are. Mm. And there's some very good stuff out there called Isekai. This Peter is the... likes to talk about this. Yep. Uh, I know about this because of a game. Okay. It's the one where you kind of level up. It's a manga or anime progress, where they... progression fantasy is very attached to isekai. So isekai, okay. I don't know what it means. Peter knows. He's told me before mm. and I've forgotten it, but it's portal fantasy. Oh, it's a portal. Okay. Right? Is it always a portal? I think isekai mm. is portal fantasy. If we're getting this wrong. A lot of them are lit RPG, which is what you're thinking of, or progression fantasy. So isekai... The kind of classic essay, I went and read like the first chapters of a bunch of them. I didn't mm-hmm. finish many of them because mangas go very long. Very long. But I, I read a decent chunk of a number of them. And a lot of them, and I'm sure there's isekai that I'm not covering that are outside this format. But the popular ones, I just kind of went down the list, are person from our world gets hit by a bus <laughs> or is doing something heroic. Generally, not always, but a lot of times they are an old, tired businessman. Oh, really? Right, yeah. Interesting. In Japan where they've been worn down and just ground down. Um, Some of them are teenagers, but a lot of them are these business people or young salarymen, but who've also been ground down. It's basically the same idea as Stardew Valley. If you started that, where it's like person in cubicle is just having a miserable life, goes out, saves a kid who's about to get hit by a truck, gets hit by the truck. Some, you know, deific personality comes to them and says... You get to be reborn. You were so heroic. I'm going to make you reborn into the kind of world of your choice, and you get to have one boon. What will you pick? And they will pick things like, I want to be just amazing at farming or something like that, or I want to be, you know, this. And a lot of them are just, they're reborn in this world, and there are these level-up mechanics a lot of times and things like that. I thought thought some kind of growth mechanic was important to it, but I don't remember. All the ones I read had it, Okay, so it might be. But I seem to recall Peter telling me it just means portal fantasy. So, But anyway, Mm -hmm. like I read this one where it's just like, I'm a farmer. And I have a magical tool that just helps me farm. And it was interesting, but I was not engaged. No offense, but I was not engaged by any of these. Mm -hmm. For the same reason that I love my job. I have a really creative, interesting job. It's really fun. I am not tired of the day in doldrum 
I do not want to escape right. and become a farmer. Yeah. And I feel like some of these that I read were written specifically for someone who just wants to get to a place where they can be successful, mm-hmm. where their effort in this life translates to an easy next life because there's almost no stakes. The characters for the ones I read are so powerful. If they try something, they're successful at it. And there's an engagement to that sort of competence mm-hmm. sort of thing, but there's no working for it. It's just like, you know what? I'm just going to do this thing and make life better for everyone. <laughs> Interesting. Um, so yeah, it's like, where does your escapism want to go? Yeah, right? where does That's your the... escapism want to go? You say that for the old tired businessmen, for a lot of people reading these, it feels like I want to escape from a life where I'm not meaningful and where all of my work just leads to me getting exhausted and go to one where I am meaningful, doing something peaceful and serene that connects me to nature and things like that. That's that's a really like, sad commentary on like, maybe the salaryman Japanese yeah. <laughs> tradition. And maybe I'm reading know. too much into this. And I also know that I like I never read Konosuba, which is the most popular anime yeah, one. No. And I know that's like the most popular of the isekai anime, I believe. So the anime people are not going to be even more angry than the music people were that we got the genres <laughs> wrong, that we're getting the so genres bad. Uh, the only one I've this. heard of is it's one of those long titles that time it got reincarnated as a slime. I read I've, that one. Okay, I've heard yeah. of that one. I, Again, it was kind of fun, but I wasn't gripped by it. That one I think is supposed to be more traditional fantasy level up adventure, it was, right? But he it is, came from our it, world, gets reborn as a slime, and then the slime gains the powers of anything that it like ingests right, or yeah. sees, use powers or things. So by the end of like the first couple of issues, like just has all these amazing abilities to do anything that it wants That's, to. That is very and, interesting yeah. of a escapism, right? Yeah. Because traditionally, and I learned this, you know, from you mostly, yeah. you want to have trifail, well, and Dave yeah. Wolverton, trifail cycles, you want to have- Conflict, conflict. things going wrong, struggles. Yeah, you need you know? to feel like a mountain was overcome yep. for character or plot or whatever. But this idea this of like, I'm so that that tired. Is, yeah. I just want to like, everything's awesome and it's amazing. And, and this slime goes about making everyone's life better, right? <laughs> In this book, like the slime meets some like goblins and they're like going to slay him. And I'm going to get it wrong because it's been like uh, a number of months since I read it. But then the slime defeats them and they're all scared. And then he like gives them names. And by giving them names, they like level up and become cooler because like, wow, someone cares about us. We have names. And then (laughs) they like form a village full of goblins that are like, now we're going to actually have society and like build a city and things. And like everyone's like, the goblins are doing this just because this little slime person goes around and this just keeps happening. Like the wargs that attack them get recruited and become like better and nicer. And then they're like building this great city. So it's all about the kind of building something in this specific one, but it's never hard. Like the wolves show up in the slums like, hey, I bet I could use that power. I'm going to use that. And then they're all like, wow, that's a great power. We should join you. And so, and it's a very different type of story. And it kind of proves like when I teach my class, the first thing I say is understand that I'm going to be like wrong a lot because I'm going to talk about my lived experience yeah. and there's no one right way to write a story. And this is a very successful story that ignores what I would consider a foundational principle to storytelling, which right. is that conflict and struggle makes for successful fiction. And this is like, nope. Yeah. And it's still very successful. And I'll say I enjoyed reading it. I wasn't gripped by it. Right. right? But I enjoyed like for what it was. It was an enjoyable experience. If anything, the internet has given us kind of mm-hmm. this thing where we all get exposed to 
like just way different ideas yeah. of what's fulfilling. Because again, like we grew up with, you mm-hmm. know, physical encyclopedias yes. and, you know, no real internet. And, mm-hmm. and what we knew was quote unquote Western culture, but like that's all we had to reference from. Like there wasn't a lot to. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, Tolkien, Donaldson, Shannara. Yep. Brooks. <laughs> Brooks. But yeah, I mean, you know, that was yeah. fantasy and they kind of define those things. And that is very interesting to. Yeah. To just like, be exposed to that. I would recommend that people read them just to see yeah. like, hey, what is this thing doing that's so different from what our kind of traditions are? Yeah. And it's interesting because a lot of these fantasy worlds, they grew out of Tolkien also mm-hmm. because they are the the sort of gaming inspired. The Tolkien didn't have slimes. That's more of a, you know, a not Final Fantasy, Dragon, Dragon Quest. Quest, Dragon Warrior type thing. But those are very Tolkien inspired kind of classic fantasy worlds. And so these are all go back to Tolkien too, but are very different. They're very so. different direct. So if you are a tired corporate worker, yes. check these out. Check <laughs> these tired. out. Then they might, they might really work for you. I mean, right now, Lit RPG, which is book forms of similar sorts of things. I think Lit RPG, the distinction is Isekai has to be someone coming from our world. Lit RPG, you can be born in that world and still have the progression fantasy. So I just had this explained to me like a week or two ago. I didn't know what this Lit RPG, I've heard Lit RPG, but someone just told me what it was. Lit RPG. Very recently. Yeah. Where it's like, again, we grew up on like Dragonlance, Mm -hmm. which I thought was pretty cut and dry, like people around a table. Yeah playing D and then you write it out and it's a book. Yep. I guess it can get more. But in Dragonlance, <laughs> the characters don't know that they have a character sheet. Right. And in Lit right. RPG, the characters do know and yeah. are striving to level up and spend their skill points Man. and things as they are living their life. That's just how life is in these alternate dimensions. And it is the most successful indie published fantasy genre right yeah. now. If I look at the top of the list of what's selling in <laughs> fantasy, it's almost always a lit RPG. If you find the indie fantasy book that's top of the list. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is how I know that I'm getting old. Because mm. uh, I heard about that. Someone explained it to yeah. me and I thought, the hell? Like, <laughs> are you really? <laughs> that, like, that's my old man response, right? Like, I. How can I, you be more of an old man than us? <laughs> Where you're a year younger than me. I know, mm-hmm. I know. but but I don't know. It's just, it's I had a point where, and again, maybe it comes back to like mm-hmm. I am getting to be tired old businessman. Like it's mm. it's a thing, but I'm just like, and I don't want to hate on anybody who loves it, but I'm I just I'm like I have no time or interest for that. <laughs> I, whatever you want to do, man. Okay, <laughs> that's that's I'm getting there. Mm. Mm. I was gonna bring it back on topic a little bit just to say I had decided a long time ago like well someone needs to be just a consumer right you can't all be producing things all the time and even at that I can tell I'm getting outpaced by the stuff that's coming out like I just can't keep up don't have the energy don't have the interest I don't know I am glad that there are a lot of people out there who are willing to read like if we were all (laughs) writing books and no one were reading any one's books well 
maybe that would be fine, but it would be a world where I would not be able to be a professional at this and yeah. would not have a job and would not be sitting here signing. By the way, last time I was signing pages that you aren't used to. Oh, the silver ones. People asked about those. People yeah. asked about those. Those who are listening, not looking. Two weeks ago or last week, it was two weeks ago, I think, I was signing these silver pages instead of what I normally sign, which are large pages to go in the leather bounds. And those were for Taiwan. My publisher in Taiwan is a really great publisher, and they are doing a new edition of one of the books, and they sent us some of those to sign. These instead are for the UK. These are for defiance. I like that art on the Yeah, this there. is their, their cover art. So the Skyward books in the UK are published by my publisher who publishes my Cosmere books. Okay. so It's Gallant's. Gallant's. And Gallant's publishes those, and they publish them as adult because Skyward is right on that line, right? Both of my YA series, my- yeah. Reckoners oh. and yeah, basically are starring people between 17 and 19. And so, so it's pretty like, close. Are they adult or they YA? In the US, they get published as YA. So we have a YA publisher, Delacorte. In the UK, published by my my adult publisher. And they get the same illustrator who does all of my books oh. to do it. So, oh, interesting. Um, yeah. I haven't, because I haven't seen those. Yep. So that's what I'm signing is it's hard to get to Taiwan and the UK particularly, you know, in the days where I've decided to travel a little bit less. And so I'm just signing some pages for them that will be bound into books and then will be sold for no extra cost. The ones for Taiwan, they look pretty fancy. Yeah. Whatever they were. So if the uh, whole book is that fancy, fancy stuff. That's, that's pretty cool. It was really interesting to visit Taiwan the first time. I've been hmm. twice to tour Taiwan. And I won't go into depth because you guys have heard this story before, but Mistborn came out right in that era when Hunger Games came out and dystopian YA became big. Mm -hmm. And Mistborn is the book that took off in Taiwan of that movement. So it outsold Hunger Games and things like that. Everyone was wanting YA dystopian. And Vin is a 16-year-old girl in a dystopian world Mm -hmm. where the Dark Lord has won. And it just became the book that became the Hunger Games for Taiwan. I never heard that. You haven't heard that one? No. And so it was huge. You know, Mistborn is sold very well everywhere, but in Taiwan was disproportionately large. It was the highest per capita sales for Mistborn. Oh, wow. And so I went there on tour and it was a really interesting experience. It was the first time that I filled like an auditorium, right? And now I do that very consistently wherever I go, but back then I had never done that before. Yeah, it was and I, just a Lantris and Mistborn, yeah. right? So they published it hmm. like, it was just a little bit of a lag. I think Hunger Games was like 2005, 2006. Anyway, no it was a little lag. So I, I, Way of Kings hadn't come out yet, mm-hmm. but it was getting ready to be published in the US. So this was like 2009 or something okay. like that. And not filling auditoriums, but there, it's just like hundreds of people. Oh, that's cool. And they had me knight people in the Order of Sanderson. With a sword? With a sword on a stage. The people who'd won like essay contests about how much they loved my books. I still have a few people that I met back then that still write me. Fiki, if you're watching, hello. (laughs) And it's really cool. So Taiwan. But that's not these. These are UK. I also love, I love you guys in the UK. Have a very good relationship with my publisher in the UK. And they do a very good job with the books. And Jillian is my editor. And Jillian is great. She actually does a lot of work for us. Normally with these books in the UK, you just send them the book and they package it, but they don't do anything with the text because it's already been edited over here. Since Moshe has moved more toward retirement, I don't have a line editor in the US. Don't they at least like change to 
British spellings and stuff? Like, they don't change American books oh, to British spellings. Nope. Interesting. They don't. We do that when we bring them over here. I wish we didn't. But mm. over there, people are just used to reading if it's an American book, it has American spelling. <laughs> they don't even add wow. the extraneous use to anything or uh-huh. stuff like that, which made me sad the first time. But anyway, Jillian line edits for us and does straight up editorial work, which she doesn't have to do because mm. she doesn't get paid more to do that. So thanks, Jillian. Very good editor and takes good care of us. So. And there we are. I have to say, after last time, I was a little nervous. There's going to be another kind of Well, we would only do that to Ben. Oh, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll so. have to conspire on something to do to Ben <laughs> next time he comes on. Some other time. Some other time. That's right. Well, how's that, Dan?